going to look at verses uh, 4 through 10 this morning, 1 John chapter 3. And if we're going to title this, we're going to call it the life-changing power of godly hope. It's quite the title, isn't it? The life-changing power of godly hope. Uh, begin with, uh, follow along with me in uh, verse 4, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. It says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifest to take away our sin, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil, and the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. In this the children of God are manifest, and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. Upon reading that, first thought to come to mind, how in the world is this going to have anything to do with godly hope, right? Winston Churchill recognized the value of hope. Of course, he was the Prime Minister of England during you know, the darkest days of World War II, and Churchill was once asked by a reporter what his country's greatest weapon had been against the, you know, the Nazi regime. And without a pause, uh, he said it was what England's greatest weapon has always been, and that is hope. In verse 3, if you remember, John talks about a hope that we Christians have. But what kind of hope is he talking about here? Uh, well, the story goes that one Thanksgiving when he was a little boy, a pastor was asked uh, by the family to, uh, to pray. And in that prayer, he said, as he was praying for the meal, and Dear God, I sure hope the Seattle Seahawks make it to the Super Bowl. Um, I don't really care if they make it or not, but that's how it went. Well, now this pastor's grown up, and, and he remembers that prayer because he had learned that it wasn't really appropriate. He said, as I grew, I also learned that real hope is not the kind of hope I mentioned in my prayer. Real hope is not a wish, okay? And that's the key here. Real hope is not a wish, but confidence in a certainty. Now, I like that, that definition. That's a good biblical definition of hope. Real hope is confidence in a certainty, Real hope, godly hope, biblical hope is joyful confidence in something that is certain. I mean, that's the kind of hope John is talking about in verse 3. Confidence in the certainty of all we have in Jesus Christ. He's talking about our hope, our joyful confidence in the certainty of heaven. Our hope, our joyful confidence in the certainty of the resurrection. Our hope, our joyful confidence in the certainty of our sanctification. The hope, the joyful confidence in the certainty of all that we have in Jesus Christ. And John says everyone who has this hope, this joyful confidence in the certainty in Christ purifies himself even as he is pure. In other words, real hope. That joyful confidence in something that is certain in Christ, it has the power to change our lives. 
And, and that's what today's message is. Um, God gives us four, four truths here about this, 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 this life-changing power of this, of this hope, this joyful confidence in something that is certain. So let's look at number one, real hope. Real hope is hungry to be holy. Now, real hope longs to be like Christ. We saw this up in verse 3 where it says, Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. But look again at verses 5, 6, and 7. It says, And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, he says, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he, speaking of Christ, is righteous. In verse 7, there's a, there's a hunger for righteousness, a hunger to be righteous, to be righteous like Jesus is righteous. If you remember your, your history, you know Jim Elliott. Uh, he, was, he was full of, of what they used to call a, a holy hunger. He was one of the past heroes of the faith. Uh, he was uh, one of five missionaries that had been speared to death uh, by the Alca Indians in the rainforest of e- eastern Ecuador. It happened on January 8, 1956, and the missionaries had firearms, but they chose not to defend themselves. And shortly after that happened, Life magazine ran a 10-page article on their mission and their death and the details of what happened. But I want to share with you a few words from Jim Elliott's journal in 1949. He says this, I am dwelling in a generation to whom nothing is holy. Sacredness is an aspect people never assume toward anything. He goes on, oh, to be holy, just to sense for a moment that I have somehow, however small, simulated some measure of thy character, oh Lord. See, he was was hungry to be holy. And John says that all Christians should hunger for holiness. They should hunger to be like their Savior. But why? Why should we hunger to be holy? Well, first of all, one great reason is because, and we mentioned this last week, so this is kind of review, of what is behind us. The cross work of Christ, our Savior. The cross of Jesus is why John could say what he said in verse 1 when he said, Behold behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God. The cross of Jesus Christ was what led those missionaries to lay down their lives when they could have defended themselves. Colossians chapter 1 verse 14 tells us that in Jesus Christ we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In chapter 1, verse 20 of Colossians, it tells us that we have peace with the Heavenly Father. It came through the blood of his cross. So Jesus Christ paid that price, the ultimate price, to give us a hope, to give us a joyful confidence in something that is certain. Jesus Christ took all the punishment and all the wrath for our sins on himself when he died for us. And the more we understand Jesus' sacrificial love, the more it gives us a hunger for holiness, a hunger to be like him. And if we have no, 
If you have no hunger to be holy, that is the level of your understanding of Jesus' love for you. Why should we be hungry to be holy? It's because of what's behind us, because of all that Jesus did in, the, in, in his death and burial and resurrection. But secondly, it's also because of what is waiting for us, that, that perfect eternity in heaven with Almighty God. It is seeing Jesus face to face. It is being like him when we see him. That's what was on John's mind when he wrote in verse 2. Says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. William Barclay explains it this way. He says, John has just said that the, that the Christian is on his way, that the Christian that is on his way to seeing God uh, and is on his way to being like him. He says, the man who knows that God is at the end of the road will make all life a preparation to meet him. Now let me repeat that. The man who knows that God is at the end of the road will make all life a preparation to meet him. So, church, the more we focus on the work that Jesus did for us, and, and, and the more we focus on, on, on who is waiting for us, we will seek to purify ourselves even as he is pure because real hope, that joyful confidence in that certainty is hungry to be like him. It's hungry to be holy. The second thing we see is that real hope refuses to be satisfied with sin. It just refuses to be satisfied with it. John reminds us of the great truth in verse 4 where he says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. Right? Real hope, this joyful confidence in something that is certain, refuses to be satisfied with sin. That's why down in verse 8 and 9 he says, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he, may take, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Now what does this scripture say to those Christians like us who know or should know that we fall short every single day. But one thing it says is this, that God will never, ever, even for a second, give us the okay or the green light or the wink to sin. God will never give us the okay to sin. And it helps us to know that John was warning these early Christians about false teachers who were, who were trying to justify their sin and made justifying their sin an art form. Another commentary says, This passage was first directed against the false teachers called Gnostics. They came up with a host of reasons to justify sin. The Gnostics basically believed that only our present physical bodies were evil, so there was no harm in satisfying their selfish desires. They actually taught, he goes on, that a truly spiritual man was so protected by the Holy Spirit that he could sin to his heart's content and take no harm from it. 
They even taught that true Gnostics were obligated to explore the heights and plumb the depths of sin so they may truly know all things. That is a big, fat lie, if I ever heard one. God hates sin. You realize that? God hates sin. And he will never, ever nod his head and give you the okay to sin. Never. Now, I don't think any of us would ever intentionally admit that sin is good. Um, but we tend to have other, other problems. Um, denial, spiritual self-deception, blind spots, right? There's some sins we tend to be blind to. Maybe we don't consciously excuse our sin, but we have the tendency to pick and choose which scriptures we're going to conveniently remember to obey. We have a tendency to ignore others. One example would be that there's those who say they're Christians today who, who want to ignore the clear scriptural teachings concerning abortion, and I doubt if any of us would ever do that, but but what about the scriptures on tithing? What about the scriptures on loving your neighbor? What about the scriptures on, on, on loving your wife as Christ loved the church or, or, or submitting to your husband as the church is to Christ? What about the scriptures on neglecting the reading of the word of God or neglecting coming to church? See, the truth is we all have these blind spots. That's why David prayed in Psalm 19.12. He says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret or, or, or hidden faults. See, all of us have these, these blind spots in our lives, and if you think you don't, well, then your blind spot is pride. See, real hope, that real, joyful confidence in something that is certain is never satisfied with there being sin. Number three, this real hope. This real hope is secure in the Savior. It's a truth that we have to see in verse 9. John says, Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. This has given theologians fits through the centuries, and we're not going to try to reconcile all of the nuances here. But if we take this verse out of context, if we look at this verse by itself, then we would have no hope at all. But thank God that the Holy Spirit inspired chapter 1. Right? You remember chapter 1? Yeah. I say that to say this because look at verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. The devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he may destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. Because he is born of God, in this the children of God are manifested, in the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth his brother. Now, you see what God did there at verse 10? He, he linked righteousness with loving other believers. So you can't be right with God if you're not right with another Christian. You can't be right with God if you're not loving your brothers and sisters in Christ. So what does verse 9 mean? Well, John Gill explained that uh, 
Verse 9, uh, a, a, a born-again person does not sin, cannot sin. He means that it does not make sin his trade and business. It is not his constant course of life. He doesn't live and walk in sin. He doesn't give himself to sin. He is not without the being of sin in him or free from acts of sin in his life and conversation, uh, but he does not so commit it as to be a servant of it, a slave to it, or to continue in it. See, John is not setting before us some, some terrifying perfectionism here. But he is demanding a life which is ever on watch against sin. A life in which sin is not the normal accepted way, but but the abnormal moment of defeat. John is not saying that the man who abides in Christ cannot sin. He is saying that the man who abides in Christ cannot continue to be a deliberate sinner. And the bottom line is there's only one way to have real hope real confidence in something that is certain and that is through the grace and mercy and love and faithfulness and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ it is only through the cross we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ or we are not saved at all our hope our joyful confidence in that certain thing is always in Jesus Christ and it is never in our works Ephesians 2 9 says that salvation is not a works lest any man should boast we know that we don't work for our salvation God wants us to hunger for holiness but this real hope this joyful confidence in something that is certain is secure only because it is secure in the Savior as long as you actually have been saved by the savior and if you have not then you have no hope and you are not secure number four is real hope is led by love joyful confidence in something that is certain is led by love. First and foremost, it gives us love for God. First John 4.19 says we love him because he loved us first. Okay, uh, If he had not loved us first, we would never have loved him. This real hope gives us also love for God's people. Remember in verse 10, it reminds us of this truth that John says that, that in, in this the children of God are manifest and the children of the devil. Whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of God, neither he that loveth not his brother. You cannot, again, you cannot be right with God if you and another Christian have something going on that needs to be dealt with. Godly, brotherly love is one of the greatest themes in this, in this, in this little letter. I want you to look over at verse 11 here of chapter 3. Begin in verse 11. Let's read down to verse 19 to give you an example of this. It says, For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. You know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Our ability, look up here for a second, Our ability to love other believers 
is a proof. It's an evidence of our salvation. That's, that's one of the ways we know that our relationship with Christ is real. Now go on. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and ye know that no murderer hath eternal life in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's goods, and see his, see his brother in need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth, and hereby we know that we are of the truth. He shall assure our hearts before him. Look over in chapter 4. Look at verses 7 down through 11. In verse 7 it says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Real hope, joyful confidence in something that is certain is led by love. Our love for God and our love for one another. It is God's kind of love. That sacrificial love that led those five missionaries to sacrifice their lives, even when they could have defended themselves. It was God's kind of love that led Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, and Nate Sate's sister back to the Alcas uh, just a few years later. It was God's kind of love that left the Alcas curious and bothered how these five young men could have just let themselves be killed. And it was God's kind of love that led the Alca tribesmen to put their faith in Christ. You know, one of the killers, if you know the story, one of the killers became the, the, the tribe's church's pastor. Right? In fact, he was a man who later baptized Stephen Kathy Saint, the children, of the man who had killed their dad and his companions. That act was led by, motivated by God's love. Love for God and love for other believers and love for other potential believers. This is the Astounding, miraculous, soul-saving, life-changing power of real hope. It's what happens when you allow God to work so that you can love other people, so that you desire to love other people. So I have, to, I have to ask, do you have this hope in you? Is this hope, this, this joyful confidence in something that is certain, is this hope in you, or do you know that you are hopeless? 
You put your trust in Jesus Christ and you will have real hope. You will have all the hope of, 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 of all your sins forgiven. You will have the hope of an everlasting home in heaven. You will have the hope of a relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit because he's going to move inside you and begin to give you life and change you from the inside out. You'll have hope of a life transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. And concerning your undying soul, there can either be the, 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 the dread of hopelessness or there can be this joyful confidence in the certainty of your salvation. That's really the only two choices you have. So where do you find yourself this morning? Are you in the throes of despair because of your bondage to that sin that has already condemned you to the lake of fire, hell? Or are you, are you joyfully confident in the forgiveness of your sins? Are you joyfully confident in the freedom from the bondage because you have trusted Jesus to save you and your hope is in him? It's only two choices. You either know him or you don't. You either have hope or you don't. You're either forgiven or you're condemned. Please, if you are lost, if you are unsaved, if you are unforgiven, if you are in bondage to sin, if you're already condemned, you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to trust him to save you. Before it is eternally too late, you don't know what your life is going to be. James says your life is a vapor. It's a mist that disappears. You have no idea how long you have. I beg you, put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Allow him to give you that joyful certainty, that joyful confidence. Let him give you a joyful relationship with him. I want you to stand with your heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, this morning we come to you in desperate need of your spirit's work. We pray, Father, for those of us who know Christ as Savior, that if we have been complacent, if we've been slack, if we have been... Um, lazy in expressing our love to you or others Lord I pray that your spirit convict us and Lord I pray that we are so miserable in our sin apart from you that, that we flee in repentance back to you Father, for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus as Savior, Lord, this is their greatest need. This is their only need. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would convict them, would draw them, would give them the understanding, clear away any doubts they may have. Let them, Father, trust what your word says about the depth of your love for them and the sacrifice of, of, of your son to save them. And, Father, lead them, work in them until Christ be formed in them that they too can have this hope that we have in Christ. Father, this is your work. I pray that you would draw those that need to be drawn in. 
all for your glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Keith, Sharon, would you come?